0: You are listening to Rabbi Arya Woolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist podcast. All right, welcome back everybody to the Thinking Talmudist. It is so awesome to be back here. Uh, Welcome to all of our online viewers, to our Zoom participants, to our people here live in the classroom. It is awesome to be back here and to learn another delightful piece of Talmud. This Talmud comes from Tractate ta'anit, ta'anis, 20a, all the way on the bottom. And the Talmud begins as follows. Tana the rabbis taught on rach Kekone. A person should always be soft like a reed, flexible in interpersonal matters. And not be hard like a cedar. said there was a story, an incident, Sheba Rebbe Lazar, the son of Rebbe Shimon Bar Yochai, was coming back from Migdal Gedor, from the house of his teacher, and he was riding on a donkey. And traveling along the riverbank, and rejoicing greatly, he was very, very happy. And was feeling very proud of himself. Why? Because he had learned a lot of Torah from his teacher. He felt very good. He felt very happy. Elated with joy. There, on his way, he happened upon a very, very ugly man. A very ugly man. Talmud says he was exceedingly ugly. Amar um, er, lo, he, the ugly man, said to Rebelazar, the son of Reb Shimon, Shalom Alecha, Rabbi, peace be upon you, my teacher. But Rebelazar, he did not return the greeting to him. Amar um, er, lo, instead, he replied, Reka, empty one. Kama mechuar, ha'ish. How ugly is that man? Shemo, Kobne, bnei ircha and Kamaischa are all the people in your city Perhaps as ugly as you Amarlo he, the ugly man replied, Aniudea, I do not know. Elekwe amor Lumon Sha Sosani Sisa He said, Go and tell the craftsman who made me how ugly his vessel that he made is. When Herbalozo realized that he had sinned by insulting this ugly man, he got down from the donkey, he prostrated himself before him, and he said to him, I have spoken out of turn. I have spoken out in a negative way against you. Please forgive me. The man said, I do not forgive you. I do not forgive you. Until you go to the craftsman who made me, the Almighty, and you tell him how ugly his vessel that he made is. Go to God and go complain to God and tell him, what an ugly creation he has created. So, first, I think there's a couple of things that we need to think about. Number one is that we have to understand what's really going on behind this story. Our say just tell us that this man wasn't really a real man. It was Elijah the prophet. And God sent Elijah the prophet to Rebelazar bin Reb Shimon to humble him. Commentary say here. He was Elijah sent in disguise to teach Rebalazar a lesson in humility. Why? Because it's very possible that someone is very, very successful financially, and he looks down at other people. Look at you, you poor person. And the, what we're learning here from the Talmud is that any time a person has privilege, any kind of privilege, they have to remember that it's a gift from God. And the people who were not granted that gift, it's also a gift from God. Meaning there's a big picture here that a person must understand how the world operates. You think you're so privileged because you're so smart? Because you're so talented? Because you're so great? No, 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 no. Remember that there's a creator. There's a craftsman. And the craftsman gave you certain blessings and gave them different blessings. And for you to decide that the craftsman is wrong in how he created things, you're making a huge mistake. Which is why when Rabbi bin and Rabbi Shimon was telling this poor, this poor, ugly man, he was begging for forgiveness. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And he said, "No, I'm not going to forgive you till you go to my craftsman and tell him what an ugly creation he created." What does that mean? Meaning. You need to not lose the link of where everything comes from. The minute you understand that everything comes from the Almighty, those who are successful and those who are more successful, those who are less successful, those who are more uh, gifted, those who are less gifted, you know what? Someone who plays piano very, very well. Someone who speaks many languages, very gifted. Ah, they laugh. You only speak one language. (laughs) Me, I have great talent. Look what a piano I play. You know how to play piano. Uneducated. People who are great speakers versus those who don't know how to speak well. There aren't gifted orators. Those who are great writers can look at those who are not great writers. Those who are gifted athletes can look at those who are not gifted athletes. Those who are very, very bright and intelligent can think about those who are not gifted and intelligent. You know what? Before you disparage another person by not having the virtues that you have, that you were gifted with, you have to know there's a craftsman who created everything. And he gave you exactly what you need in order to succeed. And he gave them what they need in order to succeed. Everybody's here on a mission. Everybody's put on this earth to succeed with the cards that they're dealt the hand that they're dealt. And if you play your cards right, come up to the heavenly courts and they're going to roll out the red carpet and going to say, hey, Ed, look what an amazing job you did. We gave you difficult upbringing. We gave you difficult circumstances. We gave you this, and look what a man you made out of yourself. Ah, they're going to roll out that red carpet. We gave you opportunity. We gave you challenges too. But look what you made! It's like you know what they say: if life gives you lemons, drink tequila, right? Do something with it. I, that's not the way the saying goes. I know that, right? But the idea here is that don't look at the world on a surface level. You have to look at it three dimension. Look at there's a depth to it. God gave every single person the skills, the talents, the abilities the qualities, the virtues, the flaws that they need to maximize themselves. Which is why if you look at this story, this story is such a masterpiece because it's giving us the full depth of what life really is. Nobody is born perfect. Everybody is born imperfect. But we're given the exact tools we need each individual their own, each individual their own unique tools to make their life the best. That is the challenge of this world, is the problem is we've been instilled from childhood we're all the same. Equality, everybody's got the same. It's not true. Everyone's unique. Everyone is special. You know, Einstein, had he been alive today, would be heavily medicated for his ADHD, for his this, for whatever it was. We would never think of Einstein as being the brilliant mind that he was. He's just some goofy guy. You know, when the inventor of the light bulb failed 10,000 times, failed 10,000 times, and finally he was able to get the light bulb to work. They said, look, you wasted 10,000 opportunities. He says, no, I learned 10,000 ways in which it won't work. We can look at our failures as failures or we can look at them as part of our success. We can look at every challenge we have as not being a tool to complain oh, look at my life. It's so miserable. My father was this, and my mother was that, and I never got it right, and everyone gave up on me. All of those things are part of your greatness. It gave you the challenge. I'll give you a story. It was summer of 1999. I went to Memphis, Tennessee, and at the end of the summer, uh, we got together with the whole community. It was just a bunch of yeshiva guys. We went out there and we ran programs for the kids and for the adults. We had learning programs at night, a bunch of single guys. We just made activities for the synagogues and for the, you know, for the kids who were in the summer camp. We just did great activities. It was a real great energizer and a great boost for the community. So we got together. The whole community got together in a g- goodbye party at this big banquet and barbecue. It was fabulous. And then someone got up and said, oh, what are we going to do? This was such an amazing, uplifting summer. How are we going to stay in touch? So I said, you know, I was like, you know, I can send out a weekly Dvar Torah. I can send out every week on Friday. I'll send out a little, a little thought on the Parsha. And like this, we'll be in touch. Okay, great idea. We love it. And I wrote the first week and I sent it. And then I told my brother about it. I told my brother, one of my older brothers, and I'll never forget this. I'm so grateful that he did this. And he said to me, oh, you're going to be one of those guys who start a project and never finish it. Yeah, you'll start Genesis. You know, you'll start Voracious, Noach, Lech each portion. And then by the time you get to Vayikra, Leviticus, you're like, yeah, I'm done. You just drop it off. I remember he told me that. And it is only because of that, because of that one statement that I didn't fail one week in sending a Dvar Torah. It was that doubt that he put, like, eh, you're going to be like one of those guys who starts a project and doesn't finish it. It's 54 weeks in a row. you got to send one every single week. And for the Pesach, we sent on the whole Seder, on the whole Haggadah, and for Shavuot and for Sukkot and for each of the holidays, I was determined to prove him wrong. So he was the motivator. His doubt in my abilities was my motivator. Like, ah, I'm going to show him. And I'm forever grateful that he doubted me. Because that doubt, sometimes when people doubt you, you can say, oh, no one believes in me. No one thinks I'm I'm worth anything. You see, look, even my brother thinks I'm never going to succeed at anything you can do that or you can say you know what i'm going to show them that i don't give up and there were many weeks that were difficult because i was in israel and it was the weekend of y2k if you remember that year 2000 as soon as the clock turned 1200 everyone was terrified that all the computers were going to be you know destroyed and all of the hard drives are going to be erased and everyone was terrified i was in israel at the time And I made sure I had to send it out early just in case it's like that. People will have their Dvar Torah before, you know, it all goes gone. And there were times that it was very difficult. They had the largest, the the largest snowstorm was that year in Jerusalem. It was difficult to get online. I had the dial up, you know, ( acordes) you remember that, you know, the, right, AOL. I did that all from Jerusalem. By the way, just a side note, my grandfather was not a hypocrite. It was that time that internet was becoming popular. People were getting all the, the uh, dial-up connections. And the rabbis came out very, very strongly against the internet. It was like any piece of technology, there are challenges. My grandfather did not sign that letter. So I asked my grandfather, I'm like, why didn't you sign that letter? I think they came here to the house. I think I remember them coming here and asking you if you're going to sign this letter against the internet. He says, don't you go on the internet every week In from my kitchen? I'm like, yeah, I send out the Dvaratara. I got to send it out. He says, how can I be a hypocrite, tell people not to use internet when you're using internet in my kitchen? So that's the story. My grandfather never signed the ban on the internet because I, uh, I was the... Uh, the nonconformist, I guess, at the time. But either way, you had a question there. Yeah, so hey, look, I, I believe that the gift of the internet is unbelievable for us, for us as rabbis, because we have the ability to disseminate. I'm right now, at this very moment, we're live on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on Twitch, on Twitter, on Rumble, and people are able to write comments like the comment we have here. Oh, My dear friend, the chief rabbi of Belarus, is on LinkedIn. And he, I guess, is not in Belarus. He's probably in New York. And he wrote, great class and the best rabbi. Thank you very much. But I can see the comments that people write. This is live online. And we have people here on Zoom. And we have podcasts that are going to go out later. And it's unbelievable that we can share Torah right here from Houston, Texas, to the entire world. And even in person. We have, I've gotten a lot of feedback from soldiers who are in crazy places, who've written us, and, you know, to myself, to my brother, to the other podcasters at Torch, that they're listening and they're taking this inspiration. And whoever's out there, wherever you're from, please drop us a note. Send me a note. I'd love to, it'll make me so happy to know that someone in Anchorage, Alaska is listening to these podcasts. We have, thank God, close to 100,000 downloads every single month. It's remarkable. It is remarkable that Torah from a classroom right here, right, Ed? Right here is going across the world and 100,000 downloads a month. And then we have on video, which is not counted as part of that number. So we're deeply, deeply grateful that Hashem has given us this vehicle. But you're right. There could be a challenge. With everything that there is good, there's also the opposite. With everything that there's blessing, there's also the possibility of the opposite. And here, what we're learning in this Talmud is that every single challenge is also opportunity. This guy was teaching Rebelazo, the son of Reb Shimon, he was teaching him a lesson here. You think you have the picture by what you see, but know that there's a whole other picture behind it. The picture behind it is that there is a craftsman. That craftsman, the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, gave every person exactly what they needed. I want to tell you an amazing story. Speaking about ugly, I get very emotional from the story, so please forgive me. There was a young man, a young Hasidic man, whose father was a big Rebbe. And the way they used to do it is they used to have the Rebbe, and he would have usually, if he's the head of a dynasty, he would have his child marry the head of another dynasty's child, And they would meet, then they would talk about it, and then the couple would meet each other. Because the halacha, the Torah says, even though people think there's this thing called arranged marriages, and we have a whole podcast dedicated to it on our Unboxing Judaism podcast, I recommend that our viewers listen to it. The Talmud says, and the Torah says, it is prohibited. You are not allowed to marry someone without meeting them, seeing them, and approving it, there's no such thing as arranged marriage. Oh, you're going to marry them, whether you like it or not. This—that's not true. That's good for a movie on Fiddler on the Roof. It's not true. It's not the way it works either way. So this head of the head, this head of this dynasty, and the other head of the dynasty, they think it's a good idea. They talk about their children. They're like, you know what? It's a good match. They put them into, they meet together, sit in a room together, to see that there's a chemistry, to see that there's an attraction, and the girl looks. A second at the boy, and she's like, This is not happening. This is the ugliest guy I've ever seen in my life. I don't want to marry him. And she walks out of the room and she says to her father, This is not happening. I'm not marrying this guy. So the boy hears this, and the boy says, I just want to talk to her for one minute, just one minute. They go back into the room, and he says to her, I want to tell you something. You know, there is a special decree in the heaven 40 days before a child is born which decrees this person to this person and the souls have a vision of the person they're about to marry, they're going to marry. He says before, 40 days before my creation, my neshama, my soul saw you and it was declared that I was going to marry you but I looked and I said, you were so ugly so ugly. I said, you know what? Hashem, please give her all of my looks. Let me be the ugly one. Let her be the beautiful one. She said, this is the guy I want to marry. You know, sometimes we look on the surface. We look on the surface. We're like, oh, so ugly. We don't know what's behind that. We don't know the depths the challenge. Ugly, I don't mean in in superficial, external looks. We see things. We see actions. We don't really understand what's going on behind it. It's like a photograph. It's a snapshot of a single moment. But when you look at a video, you're able to see what happens before. You're able to see what happens after. You're able to get a full perspective. And even then, it's only one-dimensional. You only see the eyes that are showing you. You only see that perspective. You don't see the full dimension of it. Our sages here in the Talmud are telling us there's so much more to the story. What Eliezer and Reb Shimon failed to see. This man was not an ugly man. There's an entire picture here that you're not seeing. You're looking just on the surface. Dig deeper. There's so much more to the story. There's so much more to every single individual than we just see on face value. Our life needs to be a life of depth. You meet someone. Don't just judge them by what you see. You see them walking around in the supermarket with the with a child with their tablet in their hand and you're like, ah, neglectful parents. Mm-hmm. And we're convinced of that. You just stuff your, your child with a tablet in front of their face so they don't bother you. We already have a whole story drawn out. I know I'm at least guilty of that, not putting my kids in front of a tablet, but making that judgment. And here the Talmud is telling us, correct your view. Are you, Wolby, that's not the way you should be looking at people. You should understand that there's an entire story here. You're not going to see the whole story. You know who sees the whole story? The craftsman who created them. He gave them certain challenges that they're coping with. He gave them certain things that you'll never understand those challenges. Certain people have certain traumas, certain Things that they've went they've gone through in their lives that we'll never be able to comprehend. Who are we to judge? Just put a label on them. Ah, you ugly man, you careless parent, without knowing the full depths of what's going on. Humanity is magnificent. Humanity is perfect. It's Hashem's creation. How many times did we look at something, cast judgment, and then when we actually get to know the people, we get to know the story, we're like, totally not what I thought at first hand. I gave a judgment right away. But then when I learned the whole story, it opens our heart, it opens our understanding, it opens our compassion, our love. This is so fundamental where the Talmud here is teaching us never judge a book by its cover. Actually, I once heard one of, the great, one of the greatest Jewish publishers, the head of Arts Girl, he once said, anybody who says don't judge a book by its cover clearly never sold a book. It's only the people who never published books that say that. He said, I can tell you books that only sold because of their cover. Make a nice cover. But the truth is you can't judge a person by what you see. Because even after you get to know them, there's so much depth, there's so much depth, so many layers that's beyond the surface. The Talmud here is teaching us a very important lesson. So what is Elijah the prophet here displaying himself as an ugly man what is he telling Ribolazar ben Rav Shimon? he's telling him that is go and complain to god that you find fault in his creation it is inconceivable that Ribolazar's refusal to return to the man's greeting and his sharp response was occasioned solely by the man's hideous appearance rather it is logical to assume that the man's looks made him appear uncouth and thug-like that is why rebelazar judging the man by his looks called him an empty one rebelazar judged the man's attempt at a greeting as a provocation of a ruffian which thus prompted his serbic retort so he thought he's like provoking me We have to understand there is so much that we do in our lives that people misjudge. How many times did someone just assume about us that we were evil-intentioned without knowing the true story? And if they only understood, they wouldn't rush to judgment. It's like when we're driving And we see someone driving like a crazy person. You're like, crazy driver is so aggressive, road rage. Were we ever rushing to a meeting? And we're like, I'm sure they understand that I'm just rushing. I'm sure everybody understands. And now we're that guy. If they only understood how important this meeting is, I got to close the deal. I have a doctor's appointment. Everybody understands. People understand I'm just rushing. I don't always drive like this. No, people don't but people would if you judge them properly as well. The entire system of how our world operates is that we get what we give. The world is a mirror. The world is a mirror a number of ways. The first way is that everything is a message like we learned this week in our partial review podcast. We Just this week, we talked about how the spies who went to look at the land of Israel didn't take a lesson from Miriam. Miriam was punished because she spoke negatively about her brother. The spies are punished because they spoke negatively about the land of Israel. Didn't they learn a lesson? They just waited seven days for Miriam to purify herself from her case of Taras. She just, it, right, it took seven days. Everyone waited for her. Everyone, why aren't we moving? Let's go. Let's go already. Why aren't we going anywhere? Miriam is in quarantine. She sinned. She spoke negatively about her brother. Everybody should have learned that lesson. And now the, the leaders of the tribes are sent to Israel. They spy on the land, and they speak negatively about the land of Israel and they all died, all 10 who spoke negatively about the land of Israel. It was a disease, a plague, and they all died. Why? You were given a lesson, and you didn't learn from it. You were given an opportunity, by the way, not only that, the people who accepted the foul report about the land of Israel, they also didn't merit into to into go into the land of Israel. All the people who cried, about this negative report from the spies. They believed the false report. God says, you cried? I'll give you something to cry about. None of you are going into the land of Israel. And they all died in the desert. It was the next generation that merited to go into the land of Israel. Yeah, right. So, so there's a thing like this. God promised the Jewish people. He promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised the tribes. He promised Moshe that he's going to bring us into the land of Israel, the promised land. Everybody knew this. Everybody knows this. This has been the conflict of the entire world. There are more condemnations on the land of Israel from the UN than all the other countries combined. There are more condemnations to to the people of Israel and the land of Israel and the state of Israel than all the other nations combined. What's going on here? This is a treasured land. This is God's promised land. This is the land that God says is the land of flowing milk and honey. It's the land that's supernatural. It's the land that doesn't follow the laws of nature. It's the land that if you don't follow its laws, it'll spit you out. There's no land like that on planet Earth. You go to Serbia, you go to South Africa you go to China, you go to Grand Teton National Park. Nothing's going to happen if you rebel against the land, so to speak. If you do that in the land of Israel, the land spits you out. It'll give you a reason to flee from the land of Israel. Unbelievable. You don't have something like that. By the way, when the Jewish people did not inhabit the land of Israel, there was zero vegetation in the land of Israel. Nothing. The, the fields were barren. They didn't grow anything. The Jewish people come back to the land, flourishing. You have vineyards everywhere. You have It's unbelievable. The, the agriculture of the land of Israel is the finest on planet Earth, but only when the Jewish people live there. We were in exile. We still are in exile, which is why there's still anti-Semitism in the world. So yes, everyone's got their story. But you're talking about God's land in a negative way? God's land? The promised land? And, our, and the Torah says, we read this in our Parsha Review podcast just yesterday, at the end of the podcast. It says, We were in our eyes like grasshoppers and also in their eyes. Sages explain, you know why the Torah says it like that? If you think low of yourself, others will think low of you as well. If you think fine of yourself, you think righteous of yourself, you think, that doesn't mean that you're an arrogant person, but if you treat yourself with dignity, people will treat you with dignity. If you want to be a person of refined character, people will see you as a refined person. You want to carry yourself with dignity? People will see you with dignity. You are the way you present yourself, which could be a little bit of a contradiction to what we said earlier, but not really. The people saw themselves in a negative light. They were depressed, so their presentation of the land of Israel was such as well. Because they saw themselves small, they projected that out. And they said, oh, they also saw us as small people. They also saw us. And that's the problem. You can't go and say a negative thing about God's land because you are deficient. That's a very good question. That's a very good question. So uh, if the Jewish people were slaves for 210 years in Egypt, and now we just got out of Egypt and we're standing by Mount Sinai and we're talking about the land that's right over there and we can go into our land soon. By the way, there were only 11 days distance from the land of Israel. That's it. They weren't very far. And guess what? The whole generation lost. But but here's the thing. To what you're saying, excellent question. It's true that they still had a slavery mentality. That's very true. but. You're the leader. As a leader, you know when I came to Houston, I was running Torch right away. Day one I came in, I was learning from my predecessor. We had an overlap of a few months, and then boom, I had to run this organization. I remember one day, and I was a young guy. I was 26 years old at the time, just turned 27. And I, uh, I remember one time it was it was tough. You got payroll, and you got staff, and you got this, and you got that. You know all these different components of an organization. And I remember one time I met one of the leaders in the community. And we went for lunch. They said, knew how things going. I was a little bit like down. Like, you know, it's, it's tough. I, I don't know. It's like, you know, one of those rough days. They said to me, don't ever talk like that. You have people who look up to you. You have an entire organization that is either motivated or completely unmotivated based on your excitement and your energy. If you come with a down energy, all of them will be affected by that down energy. If you have an up energy, enthusiastic, motivating, energi- energetic, then you know what's going to be with them? They're all going to feel that enthusiasm. They're all going to be energized. It's all based on how you. So I said, but I'm not going to fake it. I said, Don't fake it. You have to be energized. You have to have that. Work on it to make it that every day is an awesome day. Because people, when you're responsible for other people, you don't have the luxury of just saying, Today is just going to be a no day. You don't have that luxury. It's like they say, Rabbis are always on. You can't tell your congregants, I'm sorry, today I'm just not in the mood of talking to people. It doesn't happen. Because you have a responsibility. That's your responsibility. These were the leaders of the tribes. You have a responsibility towards your people. You can't tell running a company, you can't tell your employees, you know, guys, one month, we're just taking off. No payroll this month. Okay? I I just need a break. Okay? This doesn't work. You have a responsibility. The same thing is with the leaders of the tribes. It's true, you may be dealing with some personal stuff. Your wife yelled at you last night. Okay, so what? You show up with a smile on your face. You ha- you're a leader. And as a leader, you got to step up to the plate. I, that's why I have a little bit of an issue with this new thing in the Major League Baseball. They started this new thing that you get a certain amount of days off. You can take days off. I don't know what they're talking about. Cal Ripken Jr. had the uh, record record Of the most consecutive days, I think it was like 2,500 games without missing a game, starting to take off now. Well, what's what's going on here? Take off days? You got a job. Show up to your job and do it. It, All it is to swing a bat and to take the field. I understand it's more complicated than that. Okay. But it's sort of this mentality that's like, no, it's okay, I need the time off now. You have six months off. Well, even the most important players are, are 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 sadly sitting it out. But that's not. I think it's. I think it's. It's not. I think it's not good for our children to see that. Oh, he has an off day. What do you mean he has an off day? They have off days already assigned in the calendar. They have travel days, but he's just sitting it out. I I, I feel that that's not leadership. Leadership now, a person has to know their strengths, they have to know their weaknesses, they have to know when they need a vacation. I once called my rabbi, and I was talking to him about some of the challenges, and he says to me, you know something? I think you and your wife need to go on a vacation. I think you need a little break. I said, yeah, we, we took a, a day off. We went to, to, he says, no, 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 I said a, a vacation. You need to go for a week or two, and just get out of the country, get out of the city, and." Off, power off. Sometimes you need to do that, and every person needs to know themselves. But that's a special case where that is part of your re-energizing. In as a a general principle, like a, a doctor can't just say when his patient comes into his office, you know, I I really I have no patience to see you today, patience, patience, right? I, ha- I have no frame of mind to see you today, you know, come back tomorrow. What what does that mean? Doctor, would you do that? No, you can't do that. You're responsible. People are dependent on you. And when people are relying on you, people are dependent on you, there is no such thing as like, you know, I'm off my game today. You better be on your game today. People's lives are dependent on you. The heads of the tribes, they have a responsibility. And their responsibility is to every single person in their tribe. They look up at them. And look, the entire Jewish people sinned because of them. They believe these false reports on the land of Israel. And Joshua and Kalev, they get up there and they say, Guys, guys, and they tear their clothes. Because they realize this was a terrible moment for the Jewish people. to get their attention. And the like, guys, that's not the true report on the land of Israel. The land of Israel is he me'od me'od. It is a very, very good land. It is a very holy land. And it's an amazing place for us. Unbelievable opportunity. We could talk another time about why the, they said the negative report to begin with. There was something going on there. It's not just that they gave a bad report. It's that it's a land that's very, very polarized. It's a land of you're either all up or all down. There's nothing in between. There's no like, let's just go on neutral. It's either drive or reverse. You have the highest land in Israel, which is Jerusalem, the highest point of of the earth, and the lowest, which is the Dead Sea. It's a land of extremes. You have every type of terrain in Israel. You have every type of temperature. You have from the hot desert and you have the cold, uh, the cold Mount Hermon, which is snow-capped. All in New Jersey-sized land. You have rainforest-like terrain and you have beaches. It's just like you have everything in the land of Israel. And that's a little bit perhaps of what the the leaders of the tribes, when they came back with this negative report, it's like it's a land of extremism. You're either this all the way there or all the way there. There's nothing in between. There's no neutral ground. Just like, just want to be a nice guy. No, no, no. You're either righteous or you're kicked out of the land. And that's perhaps what they didn't like. And what Joshua and Kalev were telling them, tova Hime, Odmod, it's a gr- very, very good land. Very, very good in that the land helps you grow. It says, Torah There's no Torah learning like the Torah studied in Israel. What do you mean? We're studying Torah here. Yeah, but on the land of Israel, it's a whole new level. There's a certain clarity that comes with it. There's a certain light that comes with the Torah that you learn in Israel. It says there's no beauty like the beauty of Jerusalem. Nothing. You can go to any place on planet Earth. It will not be as beautiful as Jerusalem. They know where to look. Look everywhere. It's unbelievable. I'll just finish off with one little story. When I was in Israel most recently in March, I was in a cab going from going from one place to another place, obviously. It's typically what we do in cabs. And I asked the cab driver, there was a ton of traffic. And there's construction everywhere. There is construction in every single Centimeter of Jerusalem. There's construction. And, you know, and out of Jerusalem as well. It, there's, they, they say they want to change the name now to Crane City. There are cranes everywhere. Everywhere. New roads, new tunnels, new bridges, new new buildings, new it's unbelievable what's going on. So I said to the cab driver, isn't this frustrating that you always have traffic here and there's always construction, and always things going on, and it's, you know, you gotta do detours here and detour there. And this is a secular cab driver, but it's just to show you that even a secular cab driver in Israel is holy of holies. He turns around to me, he says, don't you understand, we're preparing Jerusalem for Messiah. Messiah is going to come, and all the Jews are going to come to Jerusalem. Don't you think we have to prepare roads for them? Don't you understand we have to prepare enough houses and enough apartments and tunnels so they can get in and out easy? so that it can be a quick access? Wow, that's amazing. That's perspective. Tova Hema Odem my dear friends, this week's Torah portion, the land of Israel is very, very good. It's not too late to go. I didn't go in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Go, get on a plane. It's one United ticket. You buy a United ticket or go Turkish Airlines, whatever airline you go. It's not so expensive. I'll go with you if you need someone to carry your bags. It's an important thing. Go to the land of Israel. It's your land. It's your special holiness. It's the source of our neshama. Everybody who goes to Jerusalem gets emotional. Everybody. I don't know a single person who told me that on the hills heading to Jerusalem, you don't get choked up. Why? Why does that happen? Does that happen when you're going to Greece? No. Does that happen when you go to London? Does it happen when you go to Paris? No, it's nice, beautiful. Eiffel Tower, great. Beautiful, let's take a picture and let's get out of here. Jerusalem, everybody gets emotional. This is the source of our soul, is Jerusalem. Our soul descends to this world through, from the heavens, that's the connecting point from earth to heaven, is Jerusalem. We're connecting closer to our source. Hashem should bless us all that we should not only merit to have Messiah come in our days and that we should see Messiah with our own eyes and to greet him at the entrance of Jerusalem, but we should also merit to see the depth of every single human being. We should get, we should have the merit to see the depths of our own selves, the real us, the capabilities that we're gifted with. Hashem should bless us all with unbelievable connection with the Almighty Amen. Shabbat shalom.